ain't surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm recording this on Sunday, Easter morning. If you celebrate Easter, I hope you and your family are having a wonderful day, a wonderful weekend, and hopefully, no matter where you are, things are are looking up and, and going well. Today, I'm so excited to talk to Teresa Haley. This is a runner who I have been following for a while. She's a runner for Wazelle. She is just doing remarkable things, both uh, in running and outside of running, just an all-around unbelievable person, and somebody who at the Olympic trials last year, right around this time, set a two-minute PR in the marathon at the Olympic trials. We all know what the conditions were like. It was cold. It was windy. The course was very, very difficult. And here she was kicking butt. And just one thing for someone like me to set a PR is certainly remarkable. But hey, I got a lot of got a lot of room to work with when I'm setting a PR. When you see these elite runners setting PRs on a hard course, it really speaks to what they were able to do in preparation for that. And that's why I wanted to talk to her because what she did to get ready for that race is something that we all can do. And when I talk to professional runners, that's always the key for me is not to necessarily dive into the ins and outs of professional running. That's what the Road to the Trials podcast is for, right? If you want that sort of thing, hey, hop over onto that feed and you'll get more than probably more than you'd ever want to know. Um, but there's for this podcast, when I talk to her, a pro runner is talking about things that can be pervasive to all runners, right? And that's exactly what Teresa is able to provide. And I was so excited to chat with her about that. So before we get into it, big shout out to one of our sponsors today, Inside Tracker. I love Inside Tracker. And it, shoot, it really even relates to what Teresa and I talk about today, right? You want to make sure that you're healthy and strong and doing the right things for your body and Part of that is understanding what's going on inside of you. And that's exactly where Inside Tracker comes into play. They measure 43 different biomarkers. They also can give you your inner age and let you know exactly what you're doing well and where there are some challenges and things that you can improve on and you don't know if you don't test. And there are some critical things, especially for runners, right? Iron level, ferritin, vitamin D. There's certainly more biomarkers than that, but those can be huge drivers of success. Also for you know the testosterone levels, all of these things are vitally important, but you don't know unless you take the test. That's exactly what they're able to provide. And they have such a useful app. I'm on the Inside tra- Inside Tracker app every single day, doing my check-ins and being able to measure, am I doing the right things from a process standpoint to make sure that I'm getting to where I want to be in terms of my overall health as well as my running health. So head over to insidetracker.com forward slash rambling runner or just use code rambling runner and save 25% on all the tests that you order. So let's get into it with Teresa Haley. Hello, Teresa, and welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I am so excited to have you on here. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, I think when I was thinking back to last year during the Olympic trials qualifying marathon, your story was one of the ones I felt like there are so many interesting stories. And in retrospect, I was like, I wish I had talked to Teresa like right after that race or right before that race, because you had such a unique experience. We're going to talk more than just about that today, um, but certainly one that was, um, I think can, a lot of people can relate to. And especially on such a tough course on such a tough day. 
the success that you had was truly remarkable. But it's been a year since then. Does it feel like I know time can be a weird thing? Does it feel like it's been a year to you? Um, I I cannot believe it's been a year. Actually, um, it's definitely a time warp right now. <laughs> I know, right? Because it's funny because two things can happen simultaneously. But like when you remember them, it, it it can feel like they happened at very different points in your life. Like I was talking to my wife at dinner today about how like I can still recall like every detail of our how of our uh, search for a new home that we went through like six years ago. Mm-hmm. But if like you point to other things that happened during that exact time frame. I might have thought that happened like 10 years ago or like have no recollection about it whatsoever. <laughs> but it feels like this is more, especially now with COVID, I feel like that that sort of thing is like even more prevalent now. Yeah, I feel like we were living every day like Groundhog Day. And so it didn't really feel like when I'm looking back to things that happened last year, I can't even remember on what day they happened or remember specific events anymore. <laughs> Oh, I know. It's so true. All right. So we're going to get into a lot of the stuff that you're doing and have done in the past. If people don't know you, can you just give us like a little, you know, elevator pitch on who Teresa Haley is? <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I'm Teresa Haley. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I'm a design engineer for Boeing. And I'm also a professional runner for Wazell. And I have a a mechanical engineering degree and a master's in business. And my husband and I own a business uh, called Built by Fuchs. It's a woodworking business. So many things. So <laughs> many things. All right. So when did be running becoming um, become? When did running being part of your professional life? When did that sort of become go from like a dream to a potential reality for you? Um, I think it started back in 2017 when really when I um, first qualified for the Olympic trials uh, I had been starting or I had been trying to qualify for you know four years prior and was unsuccessful and um, it was like finally when I when I qualified I gained a bunch of confidence and I started talking to sponsors and um, that was kind of when things started rolling. That's great. So when you were going through the process of like, all right, I want to try to qualify for the trials. It's not quite happening. What led you to the path of, you know, continuing to try and go after it? Because here you are, like you're, you have a big time job, right? I mean, like working for Boeing as an engineer, it it requires a lot of education to get to that point. It's a, it sounds like a very demanding job and I can't wait to get into some of the more specifics around it. But I've been on this podcast actually two or three times with Rachel Shilkowski, who is an engineer who ran for, who was running professionally when we were speaking and like, it's, it's a lot. So did you ever go through some of those down periods of like, all right, like maybe, the running side isn't quite going to be there from from a, from a livelihood standpoint. Maybe I should just kind of focus some of my energy elsewhere. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I love it. I love um, no, <laughs> I've always said that there, you know, you can have three priorities. And my first priority is my, my marriage. The second priority is work and my third priority is running. But my second and third priority definitely switch back and forth. So I absolutely make running a priority. And um, I am way too passionate about it to ever put it on the back burner. And I am, I'm such a goal oriented person that like, I don't foresee running ever 
you know, getting pushed aside and saying, let's try something new. Like this, I discovered running in high school and I've been passionate as I'm as passionate then now as I am, um, as I was then. Wow. That's incredible. So what was your first big running goal as a goal oriented person? Um, I think I remember breaking five minutes in the mile was my very first goal. Uh, I didn't do that until college. I think it was like an indoor meet. I, I achieved that goal, but it took a very, very long time to get there. Like, I think I went into college with a 503 mile. And I think the best I did after that was maybe a 459. And so college was kind of stagnant for me <laughs> with, with regard to speed. So when it was, when you're going through that period of like, you just couldn't get quite get faster during that time. Did you start looking at, all right, maybe there's some, maybe, you know, beyond just running in cross country, you know, as, you know obviously if you're doing track, you're also doing cross country. Um, beyond, you know, that realm, certainly cross country can be, you know, a, you know, can be a very tough sport at the college level for sure. But at the same time, it's not exactly the kind of distances that maybe you're, that you're running now. So did you always have an eye towards, you know, once college ends, maybe like my strengths may lay elsewhere from a distance perspective? Um, that's a funny story. Cause I definitely analyzed like right after college, I analyzed like how I wanted to continue with running. And I remember maybe a couple months after I was like, man, I need a goal like this. I can't just keep training by myself right now and not have any plans. So I pulled up the Olympic trials qualifying time. So this was back in 2011. So for the 2012 Olympic year, I was like, what are the, what opportunities are there for me to qualify for the Olympic trials? And I looked at all the track times and like one by one, nope, 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 nope. And then I got to the marathon and I was like, Hey, the average pace is like 6.17. I run a five-minute mile. I think I can do that. <laughs> so that was kind of where marathon started for me. <laughs> I love that. I love how you basically like started with like the answer and then tried to, you know, like, and went backwards, <laughs> right? You were like, all right, here are my strengths. Let's just double down. It was more like, okay, this is what I need to get done. You know, it's it's funny. It's like how I, how it's, I feel like there's like a... um Kind of like a, um, some symmetry was like how I always approach school. So you're super smart. You're an engineer at Boeing. I was not at that level. It was more like, okay, I did well in the first test. What do I need to, what, what can I allow myself to do to get a B in this class? So I'll start with like the end in mind and then work <laughs> backwards. Minimal. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did you go, so for the 2016 um, Olympic run up, your focus was the marathon for that one as well? Gotcha. Gotcha. So you mentioned before that it didn't quite go your way. Looking back now, you've had like a lot, certainly plenty of time to, to, to reconsider, not reconsider, but to, to think back on how that went. What would you change looking back now that maybe you could have gotten you over that point? Or do you think that that was just part of the process for you? Um, that's a good question. I think I have since then incorporated a lot more strength work like I do yoga and I do like actual strength classes with a coach and so or with a with our PT and I mean just looking at pictures of my running form I it's like night and day like I was I'm such a stronger runner now than I was then but 
I'm I'm still like super impressed with how far I made it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. All right. <laughs> so 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 obviously this is you know, while we're well, we can see each other right now. There's a video component to how yeah. we're recording. The people who are going to you know listen to this episode will not have that benefit. So could you kind of paint a picture for us about how your form changed and um, in doing so, is it, you say this was the result of uh, weight training. Was that it, or did you do other things to improve your form in certain ways? Um, I think it was specifically I noticed my form change when I started doing weight training, but I did start doing, like when I was doing yoga, I noticed that um, I was just, I gained more flexibility. I was... Um, stronger in my stride. I, um, I was in, I've been injury free since college. Like I've, you know, I've been running 10 years now since I graduated and not had one injury. Um, I'm knocking but, on wood right now. Can, I hope, can <laughs> listeners hear that? Like no, that's, that's, I'll that's keep remarkable. Doing the work. <laughs> if I keep doing the work, it'll be fine. So, um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I also built my mileage higher. So every, I was really, I actually came up with the name running gingerly for my Instagram handle because I, you know, obviously ginger the red hair, but also I was very gingerly with my training regimen. So I was not, I haven't been like pounding the miles. Like I've always considered myself a really low mileage runner. Um, when, and when back in 2000. 14, 15, 16, when I was training to qualify for the trials, I think my like high mileage week was 60 miles. And because of all of the strength work and the conditioning and everything I've done since then, I've been able to get my high mileage week more into like the 80 mile range. But it was very much like in my mind, a very calculated process. Like every marathon I'll train, like just a little bit more, I'll get a little bit stronger and we'll get there eventually. <laughs> so how much of that was you taking agency over your training and how much of that was working with a coach and having them kind of come to the same conclusion and and what's the interplay there because it because it sounds like you have, you know, strong feelings about what works best for you and then how does the the coaching relationship, you know, manifest itself within that? Yeah, so my my relationship with my coach is that he only gives me running um input. And everything else I have to kind of figure out on my own. Um, so that's me. You know, I work with a massage therapist every two weeks. I work with um, acu an acu acupuncturist um, maybe once a quarter whenever I'm feeling like I need like a reset or if something's really nagging me. And then um, I have a PT here who has helped me through some kind of nagging issues. And he actually started working with our um, club team to help us put together the strength training, the strength and conditioning program. And he like loves us. And so he like saves his extra time for us to be able to do these one and a half hour classes once a week. And I just feel like, so it's all kind of been something that I've orchestrated myself and designed for myself for what works for my body. And I think having that kind of control has been able to um, like help me get further and on my own time. Um, 
So it's been, it's been good. <laughs> now, it's amazing to me that you had the um, restraint to keep, you know, to keep holding yourself within the structure that you have set up, you know, in regards to like your, your mileage plan and, you know, and all of those things, considering that like you just mentioned you've never been injured. So I was sitting here like, on some level, I, that makes sense. Like she hasn't been injured, just keep with the plan. And then I think about, you know, myself or other people that I know who would be like, hey, maybe I should up my game here. Like things have been going so well. Like what's, you know, I, I guess maybe my body can handle more. Right. And I think that because so many people, myself included, can in certain ways in some elements of my life can, you know, will push the edge maybe too far on certain things if they're going well and had gone well for a while. So what allowed you to hold on to that restraint? I think it's, um, it's the fact that I started marathoning so early in my life. And that I am seeing women continue into later in their lives, into their, you know, later in their 30s and do extremely well. And so I trust that if I do what I need to do for my body, I will be able to excel longer. And that, like, I so badly love running and I love competing and I love getting better that that outweighs like getting this extra boost and then potentially getting injured later on. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, 
your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit. And I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So you had a post a couple weeks ago that was I thought was was really important and telling in a lot of ways where you talked about the strength training piece and you talked about it in light of its relationship to racing weight. And while you didn't go into the topic fully, again, this is an Instagram post, there's a, there's a character limit uh, and all of those things. It wasn't like a 3,000 word blog post or something, but you did hint at the interplay there and that it wasn't necessarily hand in glove because you have this component of like, hey, I'm you know, I'm lifting weights, I'm getting stronger and it's positively affecting me. But there's also this idea that, um, of racing weight and how does that play into it? And ultimately, you know, the, 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 the great part of it was like, you referred back to the uh, Olympic trials marathon where you had set a, was it two minute PR on that mm-hmm. course on that day, yeah. which is like, which is insane. So when did the potential conflict of lifting and, racing weight and you know the and the potential for influencing race weight when did that first start to manifest itself for you as a potential conflict um i think i noticed so i i don't weigh myself often and the after our first i think after our first couple of sessions of strength so like a six-week session um i pr'd in the mile by over 10 seconds they ran 448 miles. And I think that going from that and then going into the marathon, I had this expectation that, okay, sprinter, like my, like sprinter, you need like, um, bigger thighs and, you know, fat twist muscles and that equates to more weight. And so to get back to my marathon weight, I need, you know, lean muscle and, you know, those long, long twitch muscles and muscle fibers. And I, so I thought that naturally my body would get into that, even if I continue to do strength training and it didn't like my weight stayed the same. And so I started to, I think everyone does. I started to question, I was like, do I, like, do I need to shed pounds? Because I was, you know, I was this weight, 10 pounds lighter when I qualified for, or when I almost qualified for the trial four years ago. Like, um, why am I not getting back to this like natural weight? But then I just, it's like, you have to just, like I was having great workouts. I was running fast and I was in PR shape. And so I'm like, why am I questioning this if everything's going right? 
like this, this has to be the new normal for me. And yeah, so you kind of, it's kind of like this fight with your mind and play tricks on you. <laughs> so. so was it merely an internal struggle or was this something that you discussed with people in your life at all? People in your life at all? It's always, it's an internal struggle. Fortunately, I have not had, fortunately had to deal with um, any external. Yeah, right. No, for sure. And, but I get, I also wonder, because you are part of a larger you know, running community and you, you do run for Roselle and you have runners that you know, is that, I was just also thinking like, I can, I can imagine you, you know, sounding out friends like, Hey, have you ever struggled with this? Or is this, you know what I mean? As opposed to like, no one wants to be at the front end, the, like the, the end of like someone coming down from on high being like, Hey, you, you know, you should do X, Y, Z. And that could be you know, certainly a conflict. Um, but it, it also sounds like it's, it could be a topic that a lot of people could struggle with, even professional runners. And that um, I wonder, I kind of almost feel bad that you kind of had to struggle with this a little bit internally without having some sort of outlet for it. I would say I definitely have allies. Like, um, I know the very first time I ever talked about it or had thought about it, I actually talked to about, about it to um, one of my teammates on a run. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, do you believe in that? You know, like race weight? That's not a thing. Like, and so I've definitely have, I've had a sounding board um, for sure, but I don't know. It's interesting because I, I feel like I've heard a few podcasts like talking about it and like um, professional runners talking about it and, but it's mostly male. <laughs> That's funny. And I, I think, I think it also depends on, on certain sports, right? Like I, I think about like when you have, you have, there are certain sports where, where weight can be, an important part in, in, in someone's physical makeup, right? Whether it's like if someone plays in the NFL, if they like weigh too little and they try to play in like, say like the defensive line, like if they weigh too little, they're going to get pushed around. Right. Um, or the opposite end where it's like, if you're a cyclist and you're going to like race like the tour de France and you're trying to like bike a mountain uphill, I mean, try a mountain uphill, trying to <laughs> bike, trying to go trying to use a bike up a mountain, like, any little bit of weight matters because it's already hard enough. So like you see them like shedding like water bottles off their bike. Cause this three <laughs> ounces is going to make a difference, you know? Um, and it's so funny because with running, it, it always, it's, it's one of the things where I think a lot of people do focus on it. And yet there's plenty of other people who don't. And it, it's, it's interesting how like there, that it, it's not as if there is some sort of like strong conclusion there, despite the years and centuries worth of data and anecdotes that people have had. I I still stand by, I believe that, you know, if you eat healthy, if you tr do the training, like do the training plan, do your long runs, do your workouts, do your strength, do your exercises, do your, you know, plyos and, and um, conditioning, but like your body's going to get to this equilibrium. It's going to get to this point where it's happy and, just like let it be. <laughs> right. Don't force it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. Shoot. If you're doing putting all that work in, you need to you obviously need to fuel yourself for that. But you know, you're 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 testing your body to the you're basically pushing your body to the limit mm -hmm. in that capacity. So wherever it settles at naturally, would it, it does sound like it would make a lot of sense. Um 
So when you think about fueling, how do you go about it? Like in terms of like, you know, coming up with the, the, the choices that you make um, from like, it's just the, the general food choices, like things that like, if say you're going to the grocery store, like, hey, these are, this is what I need in a week. And this is how I segment like my meals and around like my running and you got a full-time job too. And you mentioned all the other stuff you're doing, you're lifting, you're a massage, you got acupuncture. Um, <laughs> so uh, obviously it's not like you can just home and sit, you know, arrange all your stuff neatly on the counter for meal prep in terms of like, all right, I get to eat at these awesome times whenever I want. Like you have a very busy life and you have to fuel it accordingly. How does that work itself out? I have a very wonderful husband who does all of that for me. Oh, all right. So what's he yeah. doing? So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, um, we eat a lot of whole foods. Um, we, we don't eat, you know, boxed, boxed foods. We don't, um, you know, eat a lot of processed foods. So, um, my husband is amazing. He's a gem. He loves to cook. He loves to bake. He loves fermenting things. Um, so we, you know, he'll, he'll bake fresh bread. He'll bake pasta. Um, and he, we very much understand like both of us understand the nutrients we need for our body. And my, my husband's also a runner. Um, so, you know, we always have, you know, a protein, a carb, vegetable at dinner, same with like lunch and breakfast. Um, yeah, we're just like super well-rounded in that sense. So wait, so you have have breakfast vegetables? Well, not not breakfast vegetables here. I was going to say that's a new one. We've, I've asked this question before. I'm, I'm interested in the in the in the, the the array of breakfast vegetables. I don't know why they don't. A lot of people don't fit the vegetable into breakfast. I'm not exactly sure why. Right? Yeah, besides, no, they, like besides the, besides the book Born to Run, where Chris McDougal makes a hard push for for salads for breakfast. No, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't see a lot of people doing that. That's not that's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for sure. All right. So when do you, when do you, how do you schedule your, your, your running around your life? Because again, as we mentioned before, you got a lot of stuff going on. So if it's like a typical, you know, you're getting ready for racing, this is basically anything but the off season. What does a typical day slash week look like for you? So everything revolves around running for me when I'm training. <laughs> so um, I'll wake up, I usually wake up like around 530 and then I'm, at work by 6.30 and I run between probably between 10.30 and 12.30 every single day at work. Um, especially like during COVID. I used to, to go somewhere else for track workouts, maybe after work sometimes. Um, but I've found a pretty, pretty stable and consistent. Um, I'm consistently running uh, every day at work now. So, yeah, and it's great. I have some coworkers that I run with at lunch, and um, I've got a crew of three guys that I go with, and I actually coach some of them and give them goals <laughs> and try and encourage them to get faster. Um, and then there's like another crew that has started running at lunch too. So I'm like trying so to do get they, everyone. So do they stick with you? I mean, you're 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 really fast. Like, how does that work? Well, I don't do all my runs fast, so like. Um, like on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, we just do, or actually Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, 
we just do a normal run. And like when I'm training, I'll usually do around an hour. And then when I'm not training for a race, I'll do like five and a half, like just depending on the day or if I have meetings or something. So what's that like a nine, eight, eight or nine mile run? Uh, yeah. Yeah. About that. Probably eight. Not more. Okay. <laughs> and then on, on Tuesdays we do track day. And so we run up to this like middle school and I give them workouts <laughs> and we all do our own workouts and then we run back. And then um, Fridays are kind of more, everyone sort of does their own thing um, based on the weekend. Uh, so I'll typically run by myself that day and do a track workout or some type of tempo run. So, and then Wednesdays after work, I'll meet my friend and we'll go running um, with her, with her kid runner and her son. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then weekend. So you're doing, so you're doing a quality session on Friday. So do you do the long run on Saturday or Sunday or how do you make the weekend work? On Sunday, I'll run uh, long. And then it's hit or miss. I've been sometimes taking Wednesdays off, sometimes taking Mondays off, um, or sometimes Saturday. If I don't feel like taking a day off, I'll call my sister and we'll talk and I'll go for like an easy five mile run. <laughs> Oh, that's not, that's not, that's a that's a great way of making sure that you're maintaining easy pace. If you're yeah, staying you on a call during the run. <laughs> so that's actually been really nice, um, especially with COVID, because I haven't seen her in over a year. So uh, we'll just we'll go. I'll go and run like loops on a bark chip trail and and catch up with her. So it's like something I look forward to. <laughs> yeah, I know Carrie Tollison has has recorded early on in her podcasting career recorded a couple of shows like literally on the run oh my gosh <laughs> i was like ooh. <laughs> I yeah, feel like as I if carrie wasn't much as if carrie wasn't a big enough badass to begin with like like oh my god i can't even imagine <laughs> so let's dive into the olympic trials because i i'm fascinated by this you had a great race we've mentioned this before going you know this is now the third time i'm bringing it up but <laughs> going into that race how familiar were you with the the course the elevation change of the course and the potential you know just race day conditions i mean we've all heard so many people talk about how like just how tough a day it was even without the course like that just the weather was nasty and then you throw the course in there like it was just a really tough day for a lot of people so how aware of the conditions were you heading into the race um so i very aware of the elevation profile. <laughs> I did a lot of training runs on hilly courses specifically for that. Um, so I think that I was the most prepared for that. Um, the wind, I live in Portland. We get wind all the time. I live actually east of, or I live work east of Portland out toward the gorge and we get this nasty east wind. And so I mean, I'm running in 20 mile per, per hour headwinds like all the time. It's not a, <laughs> not anything oh, new. Oh, so you you're like uniquely <laughs> prepared for this. Yeah, and the track that I do my workouts on, like there's always at least like five to ten more mile per hour winds out on that track than like in the city. So um, I did. I felt pretty prepared for the wind, and I mean, we were very fortunate that we had the headwind on the downhill and the tailwind on the uphill on that course. And so it wasn't 
as horrible as it could have been. Wow, what a positive mindset. I talked to a lot of people about that race. Now one person has brought that up. Oh, I I definitely noticed it because um, when we were running the hairpin section, we would turn around and we'd be running uphill, but the wind would be blowing at us. And then we were in the shade from the building. And so like, that was like the part of the race that I would get cold because <laughs> it was actually pretty cold that day too. Yeah. All the race pictures are hysterical because everyone's in their race kit and everyone in the stands or along the course is like in parkas. Freezing. <laughs> my brother, or yeah, my sister and my husband were like, we were so cold that whole race. So what was your goal going into the race? And did you think that, oh, just, no, I'm not going to ask you a two-part question. <laughs> One-part question. What was your goal going into the race or goals going into the race? Um, I had written, I didn't have a rate, a time goal because I, I truly believed it was just going to be a slow course. And so I didn't want even, I didn't want to think about that, like not put that on my mind. Um, so I did, I actually did make a goal to get top 50. Um, I knew that was like crazy ambitious, (laughs) but, and I went in ranked like 370 something. So, um, I don't know. I felt confident that I was fit and ready for the day. And so I just went with it. So you're going in thinking, all right, I got I'm no time goal necessarily, but I'd have a place goal, pie in the sky place goal. So what did that mean for you from a pacing perspective? Um, I definitely knew I didn't want to start too fast. It's okay. So I did have another goal and that was to actually have a good time because I, the last two times I had run a marathon were actually at Boston and I had really bad races at, on, on that course. And it was my, the last two times I ran, I was also in the elite field. And so it was like lonely and depressing and I ran horrible times. So I was very, very much like being at the trials was, the prize and then everything else was bonus. And so I, I was super cautious about not going out too fast um, on this course. And I really wanted to, to finish, be able to finish strong. So um, I had actually made a pact with another girl from Portland to like the first lap, the first eight miles to run together and not get caught up in like place or anything. So we just like ran together and because we were so conservative, I was able to just pick people off for the next two, two laps. And it was, it felt so good. Like I was literally just like, like marking them off my checklist. (laughs) So when you say you wanted to make sure that you had a good time, are you saying you wanted like you wanted to, like that the the time on the scoreboard was good or that you were having like an enjoyable experience? Like an enjoyable experience. Like okay. I wanted to come out of the day like just feeling happy and proud that I like completed the race and tried my best. Well, you obviously did. So congratulations <laughs> on that. So So again, we don't have to break down every every second of this race, but you mentioned all right, so first eight miles, we're now conservative, had a plan to do it. 
What do you remember? What like the pacing was for that? Those eight miles. I think we were. Con- I had a couple five forties in there. <laughs> it was hard. Like you literally had to just listen to your body because the downhill you had like you didn't really have any control. Like it was just right. You want to you want to like put a, put the parking brake on going downhill. Yeah, and so I actually to tell you the truth, I don't think I looked at my watch like oh. at all. <laughs> Like, because it was just, it was so sporadic. Like, one mile, you'd be, like, 540. The next, you'd be, you know, 620. Or, like, it was just, I couldn't really, like, trust my pacing. So, I really just had to go by feel. Got it. So, when you're going by feel, especially on a course that has major elevation changes like that, what are some of the body cues that you are trying to kind of, like, be aware of? To be like, okay, this is evidence of me going too fast versus this is evidence of me, like, being on the conservative side, right? Are there certain things that you're, you know, that you're aware of, like whether it's like your breath or your stride length or your cadence? Is there certain things where if you're taking it a little bit slower than, say, you would typically go out, that there's a, there's a way for you to monitor that, or is it just just instinct and gut feeling? I think with all my training, it's um, it's breathing. And so, like, and like a lot of the the trail the training runs I did in Portland that were hilly it was a lot of it was like practicing like running by feel and then looking at the result other up after and then trusting like building this trust with like your breath so I don't I can't I feel like don't remember having any other feedback I guess like my leg like everything kind of just like felt fine but I don't remember um specifically having any feedback during the race besides my breathing i think all right so tell the people where did you end up finishing and what was the overall time um i think i was 77th and i ran a 242 and change i can't remember <laughs> all right so when you crossed that finish line what was the fin- what was that finish line feeling for you it was absolutely the most emotional um, feeling I've ever had in my life, actually. So I, I crossed the finish line and I remember sort of just taking it in that I had just completed it. And then all of a sudden I just kind of like started crying and I was wearing my sunglasses. So I was like crying under my sunglasses because I was so proud. <laughs> like I'd never been so proud of like something I'd accomplished before. And, um, I remember I was like, wait, like weaving through and getting my stuff. And then I got to like the gate where you could like see your family or like people and my parents were there and I like just walked over and gave my mom a hug and I was like bawling (laughs) and she was like, I don't know, my parents, they're like, we've never seen you so happy in our lives. And like, during the race, I like all the races that they've ever watched me run, I would um, just be like in utter pain. <laughs> like, I never have had a good race that they've watched. And this one, I was like blowing them kisses and just like smiling like ear to ear the whole time. And I don't know when I was like hugging my mom and just like crying, like I'm just like, that's like, I've just, it was such an amazing feeling to be that proud of something. 
And good for you. It, it truly sounds remarkable. So you've been on both sides of this, right? You've had those painful races at that distance. You know, you've had this remarkable um, experience. You talked about the complete difference in how you were emoting, I guess, during those races, right? So is there is there a chicken and egg thing going on here? Like, does do you feel like that part of the reason that you were able to run well is because you approached it in that manner? Or was it the opposite where like you were able to kind of express this positivity and, you know, gregariousness because you were running well? That's a really good question. Cause I like, when I look back on it, I don't know if I knew how well I was actually running. Like I started so far back in the pack that I didn't know how many people I was actually passing or like I had no, like I wasn't paying attention to that at all. I was just in the race. I was running, I was running hard and I was happy and I was excited to see like the next cowbell corner. And um, I think that's part of it is like, I was so distracted and that's actually why I really I'm one of probably the few people that likes a looped course <laughs> because you have more spectators and more distractions. And I think that's like kind of part of why Boston has burned me so many times. It's like, you know, the point to point where there's, you know, there are sections, especially when you start in the women's heat, that the elite field, people aren't even up and cheering yet when you pass by some of the cities the town and so you don't get like the the crazy like boston um vibe i guess or the 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 energy that people talk about uh when you are in the elite field until like the end until you get to the city and so yeah i think i think just having that distraction really helped (laughs) so a lot of people who are listening to this can relate to the feeling of having that race and even that marathon that does not does not go well for them and by that i mean they have certain expectations even i'm not talking about pie in the sky goals i'm talking about realistic expectations this is where my fitness level is this is where i can expect and it just even with that realistic expectations it doesn't go their way a lot of these same people probably have had that feeling at boston just like you did do you think that you would have been able to prepare yourself mentally and emotionally for this race as well as you were able to if you hadn't had those negative Boston experiences? That's also a good question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it's kind of like this, I don't want another Boston experience. (laughs) Um, I think I, well, my answer is no, because I think one thing that I learned, especially, so the most recent Boston I ran, the 2019 Boston Marathon, I was so fit. Like I was going, I kid you not, I was like thinking that I could run like a 237. And I really had that time in my mind and I really trained for it. And I was running, like I ran like an 18 mile marathon pace run at six minute mile pace you know, finishing with like a 542 or something. And like, I was, that was like my, my final run, but I botched the taper. I didn't taper enough. And so had I not learned from that, 
I could have potentially botched my Olympic trials taper instead. And so it's like you always, and I like, I think I had like posted about saying that no, um, no time was wasted. Like this is all like all this preparation is still going to feed into the trials. Like it doesn't matter that it didn't go well. Like I still have like all of this, that all this money that goes into the, you know, in the trials bag. <laughs> um, and so I think like, it's actually really fortunate that I, I learned from that and I was able to apply a better taper to Atlanta, which I consider like the perfect taper. Like I've never been more perfectly tapered for a race. And, um, and I, I think that's like part of the, the reason I excelled in that race. All right. So now everyone who's listening to this is now screaming for me to ask you. So what were the two tapers and why did one work better than the other with the obvious caveat that everybody is different and everybody's training is different. So this is not necessarily instructions to the listener on what they should be doing, but I'm sure everyone's curious, like what was the difference? Yeah. So there's, there's deep tapers and there's shallow tapers. And for Boston, I did a deep taper. So I didn't, basically I, and I, it's, I think I just stopped filling out my training log. So I didn't pay attention to it. Like, I don't know why I stopped, but a couple weeks prior to the race, I just didn't fill out my training log. Um, and I went back and saw that two weeks before the race, I'd only dropped my mileage like 10 miles or, or, you know, five to 10 miles, like not much at all. And then the week prior to the race, I only ran like, you know, 20 miles, not including the race. And so I really only had a week, a week and a half to like for my body to recover. And then with Atlanta, I did a shallow taper. So I, for three weeks, I cut my mileage by a certain percentage. And it was so funny. The day before the race, (laughs) this is how I know I'm tapered. My legs were aching so bad because they wanted like to run, like they were ready. And it was like, I'm I'm imagining like a dog, like pulling on its chain. Like Like, they were just like, they were like throbbing. And I, I've never experienced, like, I've, I've, you know, you experience, like, not exercising for a while, and your legs get kind of, like, like they start to, like, atrophy almost, but it's not that far, not that much, but, um, yeah, they were just, like, they were just aching, aching, aching all day long that Friday, and I went to dinner with my parents, and afterwards, I got a massage. They had, like, massages for us, and that like 20 minutes just like prepped my legs for the race and I was ready to go like the next day. So I'm, and I like have this like formula. I'm like, okay, the next time I race, I'm going to do this percentage of my highest mileage three weeks out. And then this percentage two weeks out and then one week out and then we'll see how it goes. So we see if I can repeat it. (laughs) I love it. All right. So here we are. We're a year after that, and obviously we're aware that you know if everybody's part of their country is different and all that. You know, I know you're up in Portland. So, with that said, races are happening. 
right? So they're they're happening now, and and the the fall schedule is a packed one. I know people like yourself probably have a number of choices to make, and it's like it's almost like being at like the marathoners buffet in the fall. There's a lot of choices. You can't, but you can't choose everything. So, what does your schedule look like right now for what you might want to do in 2021? Um. So I actually have very ambitious goals with the 5k. So I'm, um, I started in January and I did like a month of just kind of like base training and like tempo work just to work on my breathing. And then, um, in February I started doing speed work and I ran a 5k a couple weeks ago and I have another one in three weeks. And these are just at like a, they're like a, uh, college meet and um I want to like my ultimate goal <laughs> I'm a very ambitious goal, goal setter so my like a goal is you know the Olympic standard for or the Olympic trial standard um all right so, yeah, Sarah, like, here I am jumping right to the marathon I miss I miss no. the story so, so all right so what what time is that what are you gonna be shooting for it's 1523 but I am so far from that, but I, I don't know. I just, I put it out there and see what I can do. So, um, right now I'm shooting for just getting into the Portland track festival, which is a sub sixteen twenty, and that's at the end of, um, May. So I'm hoping to run in three weeks. I'm hoping to run under sixteen twenty. All right. Teresa, best of luck to you. This is really exciting. Um, have you? When was the last time you went went all out for five uh, k training? Never. It's. I don't think I've ever done it before. So this is like, yeah, this is the first time that I'm like month after month after month only focusing on the five k. Usually, I love to like switch between five k and then. 15k and then marathon and then mile and <laughs> I love this. You're like you're going backwards from like all your all your peers. You're going backwards, right? They probably started 5k training, built up to the marathon. You're like, nah, I'm going all aerobic and I'll notch it down later. Right, this is great. And I'm starting another strength um, for the first time since COVID began. I'm starting another like strength session with our with our coach. So I'm hoping that that paired with all the like focus on the 5k will actually help me like really take some time off of that, that distance. Well, it's so interesting because even, I don't know if the stat's correct, but I've seen it so many times. They're like, even like the mile, they say it's like 87% aerobic. So obviously if you build up an aerobic base, no matter what you're training for, the better your aerobic base, the better it's going to be at all these distances, even all the way down even all the way down to that. Shoot, I was talking to Olivia Baker three days ago who's running the 800, and she's like, yeah, I got all my mileage. Like, I improved my endurance. And, like, she's an 800-meter, 400-meter runner. So <laughs> it's not like – I guess it, it all it, it all helps. Yeah. And it's funny, and I do this naturally. Like, I, I switch between the marathon and the 5K or, you know, the shorter distances um, just because I, I want to give myself a break from all the pounding. Um, like I said, I'm a conservative marathoner. <laughs> um, but I, I was listening to a podcast, someone interviewed, um, Ryan Hall, and he was talking about like, switching to the 5k after doing a bunch of marathon training, and then going back to the marathon and being so much faster. 
and so that's got to be good for something, right? <laughs> was it <laughs> was it uh was it Lindsay? I know she had Ryan Hall on like last month. Yeah, I think it was Lindsay. <laughs> All right, so if people don't, I'm talking about Lindsay Hine. Lindsay Hine, they all have another podcast. Go check that one out. If you listen to this, you already listened to hers, so you're probably already aware of this. Yeah, I was like, so I was listening to that, and I was like, hey, that's what I'm doing. It's like it's gotta work. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, Teresa, good luck to you. I'm so excited to see um, how everything goes for you this spring and summer. And best of luck along the way. And also, I mean, I don't know if you're going to be doing a marathon in the spring, but if you are, good luck with that as well. I mean, the the spring. I mean, in the fall. Thank you. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Big shout outs to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and OS First. Go check them out today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't been over to the Road to the Trials podcast, things are starting to heat up. For sure, Abe Alvarado just finished first down in Atlanta, ran another 148 on the track for his 800 meters. We're going to be interviewing, you know, basically we could be doing, I would say, from this point on to the end of June, we're probably going to average uh, one and a half episodes per week, probably two conversations per week. Sometimes they'll be sprinkled into the same episode. Sometimes they will be separate episodes, but probably two conversations a week from here on out. So go check them out. If you haven't already listened to it, we got some great people over there. Dana Giordano, Olivia Baker, Kira D'Amato, Frank Lara. We got Tyler Day and we got, like I just mentioned, Abe Alvarado. So go check them out today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.